You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hello, this is David Suchet, and I'm with Frankie and Adam on The Labours of Hercule. Hey, Frankie. Hey, Adam. What a couple of weeks it's been, eh? Oh, what a <laughs> time. had a very exciting time together. We have indeed. What a time to be alive. Uh, but Adam, what are you talking about for the people listening at home? What are you referring to? It's not just my company that's been exhausting for you. What else has been going on? Oh, well, you know, that lovely dinner that I made a couple of weeks. Did I tell you about this? No. <laughs> oh, it was really nice. Anyway, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's really burying... Ah, how hilarious <laughs> speaking, we are. Speaking of porking... <laughs> we had an extraordinarily exciting day last week, didn't we? we uh, yes. first went vinyl hunting together in the lovely yes. town of Guildford. City of Guildford? It's a, it's well, it's actually quite a contentious point that you said. That. Right, well, let's, let's just debate that for Patreon. Um, Perfect. <laughs> do an hour on that. that. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> um, we went vinyl hunting. Found we some did. extraordinarily good vinyls. I found "Goodnight Vienna" by Ringo Starr, which is a vinyl I've been hunting for for months for my daughter, who's a huge Ringo Starr fan. We had four guys scouring. <laughs> yes. I have to say, the most convolutedly dense packed. vinyl store I've ever seen. It was packed to the rafters with yep. vinyl. And uh, yeah, they, they found it just as we were about to leave. So thank Shout you out to Ben's Records in, mm. in Guildford. It is the best vinyl store I've ever been in. It's incredible. Wow. And I've got my pile of vinyls here that I bought from there the other day. Pile of like six vinyls, like 15 pounds. And there's yeah. ultra rare stuff. I mean, I've got Affair to Remember. Yeah. Anyway, They're not sponsoring the podcast, by the way. We're just very big fans of, of the yes. shop. So definitely check it out if you're in Guildford. <laughs> <laughs> we then went for dinner with our lovely friends, Jack and Christy. And then we headed over to... You'll have to tell me the name of the place again, Guildford. G-Live. Fabulous venue, but we went to see Poirot and More, starring David Suchet. Um, We will be reviewing the show in Mm -hmm. depth. Yes. Um, You know, as a separate thing for Patreon. We have a ton to say, and there's loads I would like to talk about Mm. about the show itself. But the main headlines are that we were invited backstage afterwards to (laughs) David's dressing room yes um well i mean you go from here (laughs) (laughs) well we i have to say a huge thank you again to paul and andrew who helped set Mm -hmm. this all up who couldn't have been more lovely and made us feel very special like i have to say greeted at our seats when we sat down for the show i was gonna say this was my this was my (laughs) all-time sometimes when people make you feel like a star yes just go you just go well thanks guys (laughs) well we were sat amid a load of people and they were all chattering oh i wonder what he's like in real oh will he do the parts all of a sudden andrew the stage manager of the show saw us and made his way through the throngs didn't he yeah stood in amid the seats and went are you Frankie and Adam from the Labours of Hercule? And we said, uh, yes. He was like, David's very excited to meet you after the show. Please come. I mean, 
it, well, you know, it went on, didn't it? It was yep. incredible. And it, all eyes turned towards us and it was very much like, oh, this is making us look very cool. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we were wearing fur coats and sunglasses at the time. It all we very were. much, yeah, very, very good. But yeah, it was, thank you, Andrew. You made us feel mm. very special indeed. Uh, <laughs> and then right after the show, we went, as you said, went to the stage door and Andrew whisked us straight to the dressing room yeah. where we got to speak to David and... He couldn't have been lovelier, could he? He couldn't have been more oh, perfect. He was so, just the most adorable man in the Amazing. world. He, he was clearly tired after this huge epic show, wasn't it? It was over oh, two yeah. hours. And uh, he was clearly, clearly very tired. And what really made me a little bit sorry, more sorry for him is that the queue at the stage door was about 40 people long, wasn't it? And yeah. there were people there with passes and they were sort of like queuing up, right? I'm here to see, I paid for them, all that sort of thing. Anyway, Andrew saw us and he was like, held a hand up to everyone and said, Frankie, like, come here, please. He just whisked <laughs> us right past this big he queue did. and took us straight upstairs. And um, we, met, we met David and we'll, and we'll talk about our experience with him in, in our special Patreon show. Yes. Apparently, as we were being led out, Andrew said, the thing is with with David, he's so generous with his time. It doesn't matter how tired he is. When he leaves the stage door, if people are out there waiting to see him, he will say hi to everyone. Yeah. It looks like he's got a long night ahead. And I did think to myself, oh, poor guy. Because he he was lovely and just the most perfect company. But you do get the sense that that was quite an exhausting show. And he oh was, my God. It was quite late as well, wasn't it? It was. Like it, 11 was. it was. Mm. And it's, it, as you say, it's an exhausting show. He is very act, physically active in it as well mm. as performing and, you know, his amazing voice and projecting and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, he was tired. And apparently Andrew also mentioned, I think the night before, well, the date before they'd done the tour, he'd been there for like seven hours <laughs> meeting people and things. And I, I can attest to that. The amount of messages we've had from you lovely listeners who've been to the show in various locations, who've waited at the stage door, no one has said, I got turned away. I didn't get to see him. Mm. He has time for everyone. He's an amazing man. And we are, we got a photo and it mm-hmm. was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. So it, mm. dr- big tick in the dream list for it both really of us. <laughs> the most generous thing, the most welcome I've ever felt by mm. anyone in that, that kind of position because Andrew, who came to us before the show, said, David's really looking forward to meeting you tonight and, uh, you know, can't wait to see you. So do come and find me and we'll take you straight back. Um, we went back and I, I didn't know if that was maybe Andrew just saying that and he yeah. had to say it or whatever. Being polite. But and- we... We walked in and, and David's eyes just lit up and he sort of looked at us both and went, there you are. It's <laughs> like, I'm so happy you're here. Oh. And he was like, you know, I, I knew you were out there tonight, so I gave it a bit of extra. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't believe David Suchet is pleased to meet us. It was yes. very, very surreal. But as, Andrew, but as Adam has just said, to get the full scoop, including, no spoilers, mm. but Frankie here, your girl, got two minutes alone in his dressing room. After Adam had to pop out for a second. So if you want to hear the full story about what happened, you should really subscribe to our Patreon because we're gonna talk we're gonna reveal all there, all the backstage <laughs> gossip and secrets. Even I haven't heard the story of those two minutes yet. <laughs> but uh mm. yeah, he did look extra tired. <laughs> <Joking. clears throat> and I never <clears throat> looked more alive. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, um if you want to sign up to our Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash cozy af c-o-s-y af and many of you have been doing that uh, in the past few weeks haven't you so i just want to give a quick shout out to all our new lovely patrons we have duncan wilson janet neal laura hunt Catherine sutton ula k 
Gavin Roberts, Charles Pearson, Alexandra Patton, Jen Willis, Tonya Mason, Ava Damry, Eva Katerina Anderson, which is the most fabulous name I think. Amazing I've ever seen. name. Christopher Pittman, Tracy C, Elijah Mickelson, Erin Roll, Marvel Sullivan Berthold. I hope I said that right. Uh, Michael Boyce. Hey, Mike. Uh, Jana. Chris Van de Kammer. Jennifer Daly. Paula. Kevin W. Tia Gurgrick. Um, Louise Snevitz. Kirsty Gorman. Kerry West. Kat. Brandon Lipsky. Chris Rosenquist. Inga Dora Hauksdottir. Sure. Sarah Hindley. Darren Moser. And Fern Bishop. Thank you so much for signing up, guys. It's very, very kind of you, and we totally appreciate it. Hopefully, you're enjoying the extra content. There are some short stories on there, Agatha Christie. We've got a new, another screening coming up for patrons, which is a cozy night in Murder on the Orient Express from 1974. That's uh, that's all aboard. Mm. Yes, and And, I have uh, to say, the action on our Discord channel is really hotting up. Uh, I, I can't tell you how blessed we are to have i found my people basically uh they requested a pun channel like i didn't even have to pay anyone to do that you know laura's a fan of puns do you know what i did know that uh but the <laughs> shout out to dobby who was like uh can we have a specific channel for puns please and i was like well you don't need to tell me twice uh yeah so that is that's the kind of excitement you can get if you join our patreon uh yeah yeah. Puns of fun. Also, we do have a quick announcement about our merch store. Yes. Um, the merch store has been amazing and was a big hit when we first launched it. So we're going to keep it running until the end of March. Um, so if you want to buy any merch, then you have a few weeks left to do so. It's going to be offline mainly throughout this year, but we're going to be bringing it back around Christmas time with a new range of products. But yes, so if you want to buy any of the merch, then you have until the end of March to do so. That's at the Labours of Hercule. Dot com. Now we've had we've talked about lots of nice things. I'm afraid we have some sad, disappointing news to talk about now, uh, mm. which is uh, really gutted and really sad to have to tell you guys that unfortunately Philip Jackson has pulled out of coming on the podcast. I don't know. He took a little bit of convincing anyway. <laughs> yes, glimpse behind the curtain. Very he, apprehensive. You know, him. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I don't think he didn't like the show or anything like that i just don't think he really gets the whole podcasting scene and um didn't seem very keen to well i don't see very keen he you spoke to him and he was very nice about it and everything but i think there was a gap of about two or three weeks between your chat and when he was supposed to appear and i think during that time he got some other work and then he just couldn't really sort of summon up the enthusiasm to to come back which is a shame because it, it would have been nice to have the entire uh, Whitehaven for but we're very very glad that Hugh Fraser Pauline Moran and David Suchet himself were able to be three out of four isn't more. bad let's be it's yeah I know it is it's a, we, obviously we're completists we wanted the whole set we wanted you know to catch them all like Pokemon but uh, <laughs> but you know rest assured everybody that submitted you know I have made sure that he's aware of how beloved he is and also that i made sure that his people know the door is always open so if he changes changes his mind or you know fancies it later down the line we will 
happily have him on. We still love him the most in the world. Uh, it's just one of those things. It's not for him. We understand, as disappointing as it is. But for, I hold out hope, probably naively, that maybe he will come on one day in the future. But <laughs> Philip, if you're listening, which you're not because you don't know what podcasts are, but if you are, uh, I love you. And uh, we're always here if you want to talk to us. The conversation w- went along the lines of what's a podcast? <laughs> Why would people want to listen to that? I don't understand. Do people actually listen to that? Do <laughs> people actually? Who are you? <laughs> yeah, why? I didn't even have a chance like to send him nudes or anything like which I because instantly my first thought was just between you and I. I was like, oh, rookie error, by the way. Yeah, um, I I straight away was like, I I'm sure I said something wrong. I was instantly assumed it was my fault straight away. So no, well, I, so. I didn't do it. I didn't send him anything inappropriate. I promise. I was very self-restrained and still am because his number's still on my phone. I still could still do it, but I'm not going. I'm not going to do it because I respect you know boundaries. But yes, maybe one day we'll meet yeah. Mr. Jackson, David, Hugh, and Pauline. Well, it's a pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, goodness me. So, yeah. Anyway, is there any correspondence we want to go through? The oh, oh boy, yes. Uh, there is. I have to say. I, all of your emails, I was just going through them before we started thinking, now, which ones will I read out today? There are so many nice ones and so many great ones. I'm so sorry I can't read them all out in one go because I say this every week now. It would just be a full email, a full email, a full episode of me reading your emails. And that's probably not very exciting for anyone else, but I will get to them. I promise you. So bear with me on this. But here's a couple that we had anyway. Uh, this one, <laughs> which, which could be a, a risque start to an email, is White Haven. And I'm like, oh God, it's like a white power thing, but it's not. Uh, and the email says, Bonjour, Adam and Frankie. I discovered your podcast over Christmas and have been binge listening to all the episodes. Just now caught up with one, two, buckle my shoe. You two are the perfect combination of wit and charm. I swear I didn't write this myself. Thank you for bringing oh, back... I did. <laughs> oh, you're really good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you two. Uh, thank you for bringing back many fond memories of watching Poirot episodes at my grandparents as a kid. It warms my heart to know that I'm not the only one who finds the series a perfect mixture of mystery, drama, and comedy. I can't wait for you to get to Lord Edward. Lord Edgware dies, which is my personal favourite. Love that one. Can't wait to get there either. Uh, he says. I really appreciate the way that you dissect the mysteries and break down what works and what doesn't work in each episode. It's really helpful to me as an aspiring mystery writer. In that vein, a question for you both. What do you think is the most important aspect of any mystery? I have a few ideas for grand twists, but I'm wary of leaving the realms of believability. And that best wishes from Dan, brackets, from Leicester. Sorry, that's not exactly the most exotic location for the damn defensive tour. <laughs> it's affordable. So, uh, yes. <laughs> on it goes. <laughs> <laughs> that would be one of the, uh, yeah, we can, we can squeeze that one in, I reckon, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, Adam? What do you think is the most important thing in a mystery? I think if you look at something like the ABC Murders, where it's so cleverly constructed that you don't realise what kind of mystery you're even seeing until the end, and then it just completely pulls out. I love to be surprised. Mm. I think the mysteries I'm not so in love with are the ones where the obvious person dies, and then it's just the plodding through the clues until you reach a conclusion that really you don't need a genius. To yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with that. I think for me, often the hidden clues are, are amazing, but when a mystery is kind of hiding in plain sight, the mm. kind of ones you read and you go, well, oh my God, of course, like it's so obvious yeah. that there's a real skill to that. Uh, I, I appreciate this. We're just telling you, why don't you just write a really clever mystery, Daniel? Like, there's, like it's the easiest thing in the world. It's obviously incredibly difficult. But I think 
also another really important part is with any any story or narrative is the characters i think if you just focus on the mystery and not the people involved in it people won't necessarily Mm. care about it so for me as well the characters involved can really make or break a mystery because a mystery can be a bit weaker but you love the characters or even if a mystery is enhanced even further by how invested you are in the characters and what you know about them so that's my that's my little thought on it that's a very interesting point I, i must be honest with you i'm more attracted to the cerebral side of a mystery if i know it's going to be a mystery if it's a, like a life story or a drama or something then of course the characters for me that's why i love jonathan creek so much it's yes because i remember the puzzles and just go oh my god how on earth is yeah. has this been done what does this mean and then when it's revealed i always go oh my god it's so clever oh my god i love that mm. but i think i don't think they would have been half as appealing if you didn't have you know jonathan and maddie same with poirot you know yes exactly yeah but great email daniel thank you very much mm, really good now this subject line this is pure gold how much poirot is too much poirot like praise. Oh, with praise. Poirot. Right. Okay. Yeah. Poirot's. Uh And Ema says, Dear Frankie and Adam, to start, I absolutely love your podcast and I cannot thank the Instagram algorithm enough for sending your amazing reels my way. Uh, me so neither. Instagram's been very good to us. Very um, good to us. Uh, uh, being from Austria, I only discovered the Poirot series in the early 2000s when a friend recommended it to me and lent me her DVD collection. Of course, she is still one of my very best friends and obviously I've been obsessed ever since. Yeah, you've got to keep the good friends around when they do stuff like that. Uh, my mm-hmm. first ever contact with the character of Poirot was a whole other decade earlier watching the movies with Peter Ustinov and Albert Finney, Murdering Orient Express movie with my dad. Both interpretations are fine to me, having grown up with them, Ustinov more so than Finney, completely agree. Uh, but dare mm-hmm. I say, they pale in comparison, brackets, comparison to our beloved hey. David Suchet. You know, uh, <laughs> you'd have real fun on our wonderful chat channel in discord if you're not there already <laughs> indeed anyway there is a reason i sent the email and didn't stick to commenting on instagram and dancing with joy when frankie replied oh well shucks uh this is still the funniest thing to me i did not get the format i'm not joking guys it never occurred to me that as a watcher i was supposed to get the clues and solve the case on my own <laughs> I just what? enjoyed I just enjoyed <laughs> the episodes, the production, the acting, etc. Even when a solution was rather obvious, I just assumed that was the case. I was supposed to be excited about the why and not so much the who. Now, every time I listen to your podcast, I want to laugh out loud when you ask, did you solve this, listeners? My reply will always be, if this was a race, I've never even showed up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Keep up your brilliant keep up the brilliant work. And that was much love from Vienna. Lisa. Wow. Good night, Vienna. <laughs> Second time. Wow. <laughs> Getting wow. a good mention there. So international. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> but that is really, that's a really good point about just watching it. Just watching and, them to be entertained instead which of. Which uh, valid enough. Yeah. But, no, but it, it sounds like it's more than a passive thing because she's enjoying the story and just the, <laughs> the stunning beauty of it. I think sometimes it's nice to just switch your brain off and just go along for the ride. Yeah. So you don't have to. Yeah. That's the way Hastings has been doing it the entire time. <laughs> just yeah. going on with the flow. So yeah, you're in good company, Lisa. Um, one last email and it's a short one. Uh, and the subject line is buckle my shoe, which is contentious. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Please, this one, no. It's okay. Uh, bonjour, <laughs> mes amis. Long-term <laughs> listener, first-time emailer. I've been waiting for your take on one, two, buckle my shoe. 
for one very particular reason. The very tone of voice of the early hotel segment about my hot water bottle was so <laughs> amdram, my partner almost refused to watch the rest of the episode. <laughs> Miss um, Miss uh, Sainsbury Seal. Sainsbury Seal was an Amdram or anyway, wasn't she? Well, indeed, she was. Yeah, which one? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, they say I've loved your podcast from the moment I stumbled upon it. You are smart. Again, we didn't write this. I promise. You are smart, erudite, funny, and very entertaining. Here's to always having you in my ears. Speak soon, and that's from Liam in Preston. Another key location for the tour there, Preston. I'm loving this localized. Tour, to be honest with you. We've got to start inland first before we should take to the, to the seas. Is, is it at all if we go to your house, Leicester, then Preston, and just get the world to come along to those I, three sure. locations? <laughs> Do you know what? I think the, the people of Leicester would appreciate the tourism, so we can give it a go. Don't be mean to Leicester. No, I'm just saying, it's nice to get tourism to Leicester. So, you know, not that we're a massive draw or anything, but yeah, let's start in Leicester and see, see where we end up. I love the cheese, red. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I love Mark Lester from Oliver. Great. I love Leicester Square <laughs> in London. In Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. My favourite to buy too. <laughs> anyway, Big Leicester nuts anyway. Yes. See you, see you soon, Leicester. But there, that, that's all the emails we're going to do for this time, but we will do more next time. So thank you to everyone who emailed. If you want to be added to the pot, you can do so. Email us at bonjour at thelabourzofvercule.com. I also Welcome. love um, Uncle Fester. Oh, yeah, he's great. Anyway... Shall we get on to the underdog? Yes. I think we're in for a rough ride with this one. Good boy. This is Pauline Moran, and you're listening to the Labours of Hercule podcast. The next best thing to the perfect filing system. So, the underdog then, Frankie. Another short episode and uh, another one with quite an interesting sort of beginning. Do you want to quickly place us in time? Yes. Uh, also, just to say, another one, sadly, where we have no chat, which seems to be the theme of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should probably get used to that in our lives. Oh, God. It <laughs> <laughs> so much. But we do have, much like this podcast, David Suchet, we have Borrow, Miss Lemon and Hastings. So Yeah, they're our favourites anyway. <laughs> Three so, out yeah. of four. Right. Ooh. But yes, as you say, we are at a very stunning Art Deco chemical company, which is not a sentence you often hear. <laughs> but turns out they exist or existed in the 30s. Mm, not just in Thunderbirds. Anyway, <laughs> we're in the lab of Dr. Horace Trefusis, which is the what? most illiterative name. It's the most onomatopoeic name, I think, yeah. to describe this man as well, because he looks like a Horace <laughs> and he looks like a, a Trefusis. It's like sort of largish, blustery, kind of uh, yeah. very sweaty looking gentleman. You're wearing a lot of tweed. <laughs> Uh, Horace Trefusis. Do you find it it. trefusing to... That was a horrible joke. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Both of these are bad. Pundiful chat's going crazy right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to get kicked out of the pundiful chat for that (laughs) quality of joke. Unbelievable. But yes, Dr. Horace Trefusis, as you say, quite the uh, character. Uh, He is the chief chemist. Yep. (laughs) He... (laughs) the chief chemist and we're in his lab and he is reading a letter in German. We know it's in German, Mm. not only because we see the language, but there's a German voiceover. My dear Horace, we were all disappointed not to see you at our conference in Berlin. England is in danger of becoming isolated, you know. 
many interesting developments were discussed. In particular, Sir Owen Astwell's new Astrobrain compound. It's rumored that Farben's over here will manufacture it under license. But then, you know what gossip scientists can be. But someone is breaking into the lab, isn't it? A shadowy man um, seems to be climbing up uh, to gain, gain entry into the I've lab. I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> he's climbing. Does he know there are stairs? I don't know if he knows there are stairs. I think his mask's pulled down a bit tight. Perhaps he's just feeling his way around the building. <laughs> yeah. like, I would as well, to be honest. That's a nice nice building. Yeah, the curves on that. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. Uh, the mysterious Spider-Man in a flat cap, who I've affectionately called him Flat Cap throughout my notes, uh, because we don't know his name yet. Uh, flat Cap breaks into the office of Dr. Horace Trefusis. Wow, what a name. Uh, he is looking around. He's obviously looking for something very important. There are some con- confidential files we saw Horace looking at earlier. And as he's looking around, Horace returns, horrifying mm. him. <laughs> Uh, and there's a bit of a scuffle, a very pathetic little scuffle between the two of them. But ultimately, a Bunsen burner and some chemicals get knocked over, as one often finds in a lab. And there's a little fire. You. I wouldn't struggle with Hoza, I must be honest with you. He looks like a proper unit. Yeah, sturdy. So that's basically how the story opens. Horace returns to the lab, finds this intruder, says, You! at the intruder. Then they have a struggle and uh, a fire begins. And uh, Horace presses the fire alarm, flat cap runs away. And that's your opening scene. Anyway, we cut to Whitehaven Mansions where I love this scene. Yes. Miss Lemon is trying to hypnotise Poirot. Miss Lemon. I am aware that you are fully qualified in the practice of the hypnotics. I, I do not dismiss that, but, you know, with a person whose character is so forceful and whose intellect is so powerful... But think how useful it would be to you in your investigations. Very well, if it will please you. Proceed. Relax. Relax. Your eyes are feeling heavy. You are going to sleep. What on earth's going on? Please, Captain Hastings. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to know what time you wanted to leave in the morning for the captain's play at Abbott's Cross. Mr. Burrow didn't tell me about that. I did tell you, Miss Lemon. You simply forgot to enter it. Mr. Poirot... I am trying to be helpful. Miss Lemon, I am very grateful to you, but really I have no need of the hypnotics. I prefer to use my little grey self. <sighs> she hypnotises us all on a regular basis with her, her luminous beauty and fashion choices. Mm. But it's not working quite as well on Poirot, turns out. No. This is, I think, the scene that Pauline was referring to when mm. she was talking about the fact that they let her bring her influence into yeah into (laughs) into work because you had the case of the egyptian tomb with the you know the the cat god and everything and the yeah and that and the tarot and now we've got this hypnotizing but it's all like a very we've got a spiritual angle to it and it it really does play an important role later and i really think that yeah down to you know pauline's influence on set so it's really cool and what i really like about it is this scene is played for comedy yes but the scene later where it's brought back it's not, not funny. Poirot's not laughing at her at all. And it's, no. And I thought it was going to be like a clever little gimmicky, funny device or something to prove that someone was lying. But 
actually it's played quite seriously. It's very well done. So it is definitely props, props to uh, the makers for this. They're the best, but their the little hypnotism scene is interrupted when Hastings arrives, looking hot. AF in his tux uh, because he and Poirot the next morning are heading off to... Now, what's the name of this place? Captain's Plate! Is that literally the name of the place? I think it's the name of the golf tournament, I'm assuming. Oh, okay. I'm assuming. It's a golf tournament, but yeah, because Miss Lemon didn't know what it was either. Uh, yes, it's a golf tournament, and but Poirot's not really going for the golf. He's going for a more artistic reason. Hastings has been partnered in this golf tournament with one of his friends, Charles Leveson. Charles Leveson's uncle is Sir Reuben Astwell. Now, this is the guy that Poirot is more interested in because Reuben Astwell, who's the boss of the chemical plant we saw at the beginning, he's Hoz's boss. Uh, he has a fabulous collection of Belgian miniatures. What's this captain's plate? Well, it's a golf trophy, of course. Two-day event. A friend of mine, Charles Leveson, has invited me to partner him. Surely you're far too busy to attend golf matches, Mr Poirot? Yes, I am, Miss Lemon, but there is another invitation I could not resist. The uncle of Monsieur Leveson is Sir Reuben Astwell, and we have been invited to dine with him. He has the finest collection of Belgian miniature bronzes in Europe. And Belgian miniature bronzes, they are the finest in the world. Why is that? Because they are the largest. Truly, Sir Ruben Aswell must be a man of exquisite taste and sensitivity. And then we cut to... Ruben Astwell really putting the ass into Astwell. Uh, Astwell by name, Ast very well by <laughs> reputation. Uh, but yes, we meet Ruben Astwell. Uh, he, as you said, he's he's the big boss, big dog. Uh, he's having a very heated argument with his brother Victor. I have to say, the names in this episode are quite something. Victor, Ruben, Horace. If this was uh, Scrabble, we'd be getting triple word scores all over the shop for these ones, wouldn't we? Sure would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it worth us just running through who everyone is in this uh, yeah. episode? Because there are, we have a cast of characters and it's good that you get a tour through them. So we start with Ruben Astwell, who is this irascible kind of chemical plant boss, very rich, um, very misanthropic, doesn't seem to get on with anyone, including his wife. Lady yeah. Astwell. She looks beaten down by life, shall we say, and it's obvious that she's not happy in her marriage to Sir Reuben. Sir Reuben's nephew is Charles Leveson, who's partnered with Hastings in the golf tournament. Charles Leveson is a bit of a layabout. He's a bit flighty. Turns out uh, Sir Reuben wants him to get some kind of career and have some kind of income for himself, which I think is a pretty noble thing. No, I think, he should, I think he should be a, a pro golfer. <laughs> I know. It's just when he says, you know, oh, I want to be a pro golfer. It just reminds me so much of being a parent and seeing a child. <laughs> you know, wow, well, I thought I might make paper airplanes for a living. Yes. And you met Dr. Horace Trefusis at the beginning, Dr. Hosa. Also, we're introduced to Lily Margrave, who is Lady Astwell's sort of personal companion. Aide. Yeah. yeah, companion. She sort of does the running around the house for Lady Astwell. The character of Flat Cap, as we met when he was um, harassing uh, Dr. Trefusis. Harassing. Um, harassing, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes, you're, uh, you're welcome again. In yes. Phew. Uh, yeah, we met him. We'll find out more about him later. Uh, and then the only other people you really need to think about are Parsons and Gladys. <laughs> 
Parsons is the butler, the very loyal butler of Reuben Astwell. And Gladys is the the very skittish, nervous maid character who also lives in the house with all of them. There's also uh, Victor Astwell, who is yes. Sir oh, Reuben's uh, brother. He, he looks like he's been sort of bullied down in the business by Sir Reuben. Basically, Sir Reuben is this big bully who sits atop of this little pyramid of people yes. everyone seems to hate him so i wonder if you can guess who's gonna die anyway, <laughs> <should> we... <laughs> we haven't had one like this for a while though where it's just every, everyone hates this one guy or this one character mm. and he ends up dead or there's loads of people that could have motive to do it i quite like these ones when it's oh yeah, yeah. it's nice and simple this one yeah. this one isn't going to take us all day i have to be no. honest with you guys because um no. the, the, the story is it's kind Fine. of slight anyway at dinner <laughs> So Reuben sort of reveals his nature, doesn't he? You know, he's very out for himself. He's very concerned about the war. War, Poro. That's what I said. And war is what I mean. And it's coming soon, you mark my words. With anyone in particular, Sir Reuben? Germany, of course. They're rearming. They've remilitarized the Rhineland. They'll be all over Europe before you know it. Probably start with your place, um, Belgium. <laughs> Shouldn't take them long. You will forgive me, Sir Reuben, if I do not view the prospect with such sang-froid. He eats like a snapping turtle, which <laughs> I admire. Yup. Is that a quality you like in a man? <laughs> he cuts his thing, he shuts it in <laughs> He's like a Rottweiler. Yes. Um, everyone else is taking their time and cutting it into manageable pieces. Sir Reuben, he's got to do it. <laughs> He's he's giving Henry VIII vibes, isn't he? Where he's like, rah, 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 rah. Because he's also, while stuffing his face and snapping about, uh, he is talking about the war, the impending war, and just being generally very unpleasant about it. And indirectly insults our beloved Poirot, who is there, obviously, we know, a refugee from the First World War. And he's like, yeah, well, Belgium's going to be the first place the Germans take, so that won't take them long. Uh, so yes but it's a very awkward dinner scene everyone looks uncomfortable apart from him the snapping turtle as you've described him so well Uh, (laughs) everyone else looks very unhappy and nobody can stand Ruben Astwell he is a Mm. real piece of work after dinner Poirot asks if he can see the miniatures and uh, he does so, where he finds out that Reuben Aswell is not perhaps the art lover he was expecting to find in command of this delightful collection. In fact, Reuben Aswell tells me exactly what he thinks of it. The whole collection, it is magnificent. Oh, is it? Oh, I got it at a knockdown price. I'm having to sell it for a profit. But how can you bear the sacrifice? Sacrifice? Well, as far as I'm concerned, whoever buys them can melt them down for scrap. Never, Hastings. Never have I met a man so obnoxious. And I swear, that wine he gave to us, he manufactured in his chemical factory. <laughs> we quickly spool back because there is an important incident that happened just before dinner that we should probably just touch on. So Reuben has these very important documents that we saw Flat Cap going for at the beginning yes. of the story. Anyway, Reuben is downstairs with his wife having an argument. And when he arrives at his office, he finds Lily... <laughs> Uh, just leaving, and his papers have been knocked off. It seems as though she's looking for that paper for some reason. Anyway, he has had enough, and he lets her know. And this isn't the first time I've caught you in here messing around with my papers. I don't know what you're talking about. No. Please let go of my arm. I want you out of this house first thing on Monday morning. 
Yeah, so dinner's extra awkward because Lily's just been sacked, but then she has to sit next to him at dinner. Like, who did this eating plan? <laughs> this is very, very upsetting turn of events. Uh, and maybe that's why he's more snappier than snappy, his normal snappiness. I don't know. Anyway, after dinner, uh, everyone kind of disperses in their various directions. Poirot and Hastings decide to go back to the hotel. Poirot is fuming the whole way back. Uh, it's great. And then uh, Charles runs out and says, oh, actually, I'll, I'll walk back with you, get some fresh air, which, by the way, fresh air is code for alcohol, uh, which we find out. Tell me, Monsieur Leveson, in order to deserve a knighthood, your uncle must have rendered some service most special in this, but bought and paid for like everything else the man's a monster a bully and a liar um the other movements of the people in the house so horace trefusis <laughs> is also at dinner Hosa. <laughs> i refuse to believe that he would be anything but a wonderful dinner guest anyway uh horace uh he decides to go to bed straight after dinner because he's got an early train to get back. He's basically there to talk about these documents that are causing all this bother. So he goes off to bed. Uh, and so while he's gone, everyone takes an opportunity to have an argument with Ruben Aswell in his office. <laughs> it feels yes. like it's like a queue of people. <laughs> you know that scene in Airplane when everyone's waiting to slap the woman yeah. who's going hysterical? The yeah. yeah, this is what it is outside Ruben Aswell's office. Everyone's just waiting to <laughs> have a fight with him. Uh, the first fight is started by his brother, Victor. They're still talking about this discussion about something to do with a German chemical company called IG Farben. So they're arguing about that. Uh, it seems that Ruben is really keen to proceed with whatever this deal is, and Victor is very reluctant to do so. Screaming, screaming, screaming. Uh, he storms out. I don't want to hear any more of this sentimental, patriotic claptrap. We're in business to make money, and the Germans are willing to pay it. <laughs> What we are selling them will be used for military purposes. Victor! I've told him, Nancy, she's going, and that's all there is to it. Don't I have any shame in that? I'll a ten a penny. You can get another one. And tags tags in Lady Aswell for her argument. And she goes, folks. <laughs> yep. it's like a it's like a wrestling match tag team, and really then she is, goes yeah. into the ring, uh, and she's there to argue with him about Lily, her companion, who, as yeah, we just said, fired. got sacked. So they have a nice little screaming match about that, uh, and then she leaves. Then Charles gets home from the pub, and he's. A few sheets to the wind, isn't he? Anyway, he stumbles upstairs and decides to give Reuben a piece of his mind too. And, well, I'll put a clip in because it's important that you sort of hear it as it happens. I've just about had as much as I'm going to take. My God! No harm done. Good night. We're hearing it as Parsons observes it, basically, yeah, the butler. So Parsons, the butler, is a couple of flights down and he hears Charles come home. So he sort of leans out the door to see what's happening. Basically, Charles has gone into the room, said, I've just about had as much as I'm going to take. We hear what sounds like 
get someone falling over. Then Charles says, I got no harm done. Good night. Comes <laughs> out whistling. And uh, off to bed he goes. And the uh, the clock reads 11.50pm. Those are basically all the clues you need. Yes. Yeah. Can I also just some sort of piece of advice for everyone listening? If you're in a bit of a suspicious, dodgy looking situation, don't whistle as you walk away. It's incredibly... Mm, especially not midnight. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it's incredibly <laughs> incriminating. Like it just looks like so suspicious. So that's my top tip. Don't whistle as you walk away from something That's weird. That's what people do in comics, isn't it? Exactly. Break, break a vase or something. <laughs> but that kind of doesn't surprise me, really, because Charles is like a, a Beano character, really, yeah, to me. He's, like he's kind of like Walter, Walter Softy. Softy. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. <laughs> he, but like, but more likeable. But yeah, a bit, yeah. a bit wet. <laughs> mm. Anyway, next morning, guess what's happened? Dun dun dun! You won't believe it. Dun dun dun! Guess what? <laughs> the poor Gladys, the maid, goes into Ruben's office and he's dead on the floor. Who saw that coming? Everyone is delighted with this news <laughs> because, yeah, he was a bit of a, an ass, well, as we've said, but dun yes. dun dun. Murder. Cue the popping of champagne corks. Everyone's <laughs> a, a little bit delighted. The problem is, though, Charles panicking slightly, isn't he, at the news? <sighs> Yes. Whistling is the least of Charles's problems at this point, <laughs> because he also is. If you don't, this is like a, a reversing. Don't do what Charles does in any th- point mm. in your life. Uh, Charles don't, is acting. Don't whistle very as weird. you leave a murder scene. Yeah. Step one: don't do that. Yeah. Step two: when you're washing the blood out of your shirt in the in the cleaning area, don't freak out as soon as the maid comes in and catches you. <laughs> don't goggle. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other, the, the other third part to that is don't run away. Don't run away because mm. it doesn't look good, does it, for old Charles Leveson? Mm. <sighs> and also, I just think about poor Charles in that moment, how hungover he probably was while he was trying to do all of that. <laughs> it's like the worst day for Charles. Oh, my God. The worst hangover of his life. That is going to mm. real, really sting. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it makes me feel better. There you go. Because you're just, you don't get hangovers though, because you're just consistently drunk. I love Hastings' reaction to the fact that Charles is now a wanted criminal. Well, I suppose I can say goodbye to the golf tournament. Remember on a Problem at Sea? You know, yeah. someone's died. Never mind. We have to organise a shooting. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the second time in two episodes where golf has been the, re- like, the Hastings reason for being like when that guy, when they thought he'd killed himself in uh, the Egyptian tomb and he was like, you just don't understand golf, Poirot. He was really, <laughs> he loves golf. But yes, no we more really golf for Hastings. A, yeah, we really need uh, Murder on the Links to be the name. So the <gasps> golf trilogy. So excited. Yeah, I can't wait for that one. I haven't seen that one since I first watched it. You know, really? The only one. Yeah, it's the only episode I haven't rewatched. Oh, it's a good so one. I know it's a really good one. It was like a second book, wasn't it? Or yeah. Third book or something. It was really early, wasn't it? But um, <sighs> yeah, no, I, I don't remember any plot details. I don't remember who dies. I don't remember anything about it at all. And I keep seeing it on the list of best stories to read for Poirot. And I'm like, oh, should I rewatch that? No, no. I'm gonna Save that. it. Exciting. Yeah, not long now. Save it, Suchet, yes. Oh, ooh. Uh, while all this has been going on, by the way, we should talk a bit about Lily and her movements because she's still acting very suspiciously, especially now she's been sacked. I guess she's like, well, you know, might as well just go for it. She meets the mysterious flat cap 
da 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 outside the house the night of the murder and tells him that whatever he was looking for at the factory she knows is in the house now and as she's running around in the garden being mysterious she actually tears a bit of her dress and it gets stuck on a branch uh and then the next day we see that lily well I should say Hastings sees that Lily goes to the hotel and gives the reception the top secret documents that we know everyone's been up in arms about and says to leave them for a Mr. Naylor. So something's fishy is going on there. I've come to see Mr. Naylor. Mr. Naylor appears to be out at the moment, miss. I don't know when he'll be back. Can I take a message? Oh, well, please give him this when he returns. He's expecting it. Certainly, miss. The truth soon comes out, doesn't it? Mm. Because Poirot manages to ascertain that through her references, it turns out that Lily's name is perhaps not what uh, it's made out to be. She's given She gives her name as Lily Margrave, but Poirot spots a detail that reveals the truth about who she really is. My real name is Lily Naylor. Humphrey's my brother. And you, Monsieur Naylor, our research fellow here at the Imperial College? Yes, in polymer chemistry. The molecular forms of repeating units... We are talking about synthetic rubber. In this instance, yes. I made a breakthrough with one compound. It wasn't perfect, but it was nearly there. The trouble was that it needed commercial investment to develop its potential. So, I approached Astwell Chemicals. At first, they showed some interest in my work. Then, after a while, Sir Reuben told me that they had lost interest entirely. Sorry, Naylor, we're not prepared to go that far. I believed them at first. Then, my suspicions became aroused by odd little reports in scientific journals. They wouldn't have meant much to anyone who wasn't expert in the subject. Oh, George. Yes, have you seen the car? I made certain inquiries and became convinced that Astwells were using my basic research. He was swindling me. There's fun coming in, isn't there? Because Hastings, Poirot and Miss Lemon arrive at the Astwell house. Yes, Miss Lemon's back on the scene because Poirot's decided to put her hypnotism powers to good use and she does so. And this is a scene I was referring to earlier on. I thought this was going to be played for a joke or I thought I had like a nasty suspicion that Poirot was going to use Miss Lemon in order to show up Lady Astwell. Actually, he mm-hmm. recognises that Miss Lemon does have a gift, doesn't he? And he asks her, would you mind using it so that we can hypnotise Lady Astwell into perhaps revealing the truth behind a comment she makes earlier in the episode in which she says... I tell you, Mr Poirot, I tell you he's innocent. And the reason for your certainty, Lady Astwell? Intuition. Ah, yes, the female intuition, Yes. And Poirot keeps coming back to that. He's like, I think she saw something, but I just don't think she realises what she saw. You are sleepy. Very sleepy. Your eyelids are heavy. They are closing, closing. This really is quite absurd. Relax. You are going to sleep. Lady Aswell, you are now asleep. 
You can hear me, and you can answer my questions. I can hear you. I can answer your questions. It is later in the evening. We're in business to make money. You go to the study. Is Victor there? No, he's just coming out. He looks pale and angry. You enter the study. You have a terrible scene with your husband, do you not? He's going, and that's all there is to it. Don't I have any say in the matter? Companions of ten a penny. You can get another one. Very soon, he will be murdered. Do you know who murdered your husband, Lady Aswell? It wasn't Charles. How do you know? Because of the curtain. Don't I have any say in the matter? Paid companions of ten a penny. What about the curtain? It was the brothers. I, I. A shape. A shape? No. The... Is there someone behind the curtain? Who is behind the curtain, Lady Aswell? Really, Mr. Poirot, this has gone on long enough. See vous plaît, mademoiselle. She's in distress. Can't you see that? Lady Aswell, the curtain. Oh. Is there someone behind the curtain? Oh, oh, it's too late. She's coming out of it. It only goes and works, doesn't it? It's actually quite a a distressing moment because she mm. gets really upset in that moment mm. when she she sees that there was someone behind the curtain in the room the I really time. like the scene yeah it's well it's well filmed as well because yes as they're arguing the camera sort of swings away and goes to the curtain and it's quite spookily done yeah it's, it's um, really yes. quite quite chilling it's very effective Seeing, seeing like a wider aspect view of that room, and you go, "Whoa, I've zoomed out, and I can see." Yeah, that is, it was really well done, and she she does it really well. And shout out to Miss Lemon for her mad hypnot- hypnosis skills. Clearly, she's got a way weaker mind than Poirot because it worked on Lady <laughs> Astwell. But yes, there was someone in the room when everyone was in there taking their turns to argue with him <laughs> the whole time. They were wait. They were waiting patiently. So who's that? Anyway, we'll come back to that in a minute because we're going to find out more about Lily. Something quite revealing. Yes. Uh, Poirot confronts her with the glaring omission or glaring mistake in her references. I have to say, I would be so furious, right, if I travelled to London by a bus, car and train and they beat me in one car journey, like they got there at the same time as me. Like, oh, I'd be so pissed. (laughs) And do you remember the days in London you could just park in front of buildings on the road? No. No, exactly, because it hasn't happened. I've been alive for two centuries, and I don't remember. (laughs) You remember when cars were invented, and you couldn't even do it then. Yeah, no, madness, absolute madness. Before we go away from the car journey, I I love that Poirot says, Hastings, gun it, you know, foot to the floor, please. Need for speed, oh, yeah. Hastings has been begging to drive at this speed all the way through their adventures together, and Poirot's finally like, okay, fine. And and meanwhile, he's wrestling with that massive map. the passenger seat it's so so perfect it would have been funny if it inflated like a parachute <laughs> taken a corner <laughs> flown up because <laughs> david is very little in real life it could happen we should have stolen him <gasps> oh i could just pop him in my little pocket <laughs> keep him forever so now yes. we know about lily and her brother flat cap mm. not his real name it turns out his name is humphrey naylor yes turns out he was one of the original scientists who developed this astroprene formula that Dr. Hoser and um, Sir Reuben Astwell were hoping to bring to market and make a lot of money out. Flatcap's her brother, and he was trying to find some kind of proof that he was the one who invented it. So Lily 
changed her name on her references from Naylor to, to Margrave. To Margrave. And when you see it done in the episode, it makes a lot of sense. You, you just sort of loop a thing around there and turn this into an A. It does work. It does work. It does. I have to say, lucky that there was only one type of ink back then because the yes. colour match is spot on. <laughs> and what type of pen? <laughs> Indeed. Everyone shared one pen back then and that was her yes. turn. Yeah. Good time. Give me the pen. <laughs> you have to wait until next week for the pen. It's with yeah. with the nailers at the moment. You have, to, you have to get the pen, write the letter asking for the pen, send that off and then wait for the pen to come back. <laughs> uh, you, because people, could, people couldn't afford their own because they were penniless. Oh, do you know what? We should have a penderful chat. In the ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the puns would really plume. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so those, those are those are kind of all the clues. We're at the denouement, aren't we? So that's yeah. forty-three minutes in, and it's only like a forty-nine-minute episode. So denouement takes place pretty rapidly in this. Poirot asks everyone to get back to the Astwell house. All the relevant parties are there waiting for him, and we get a classic Poirot denouement. We're about to find out. You you have all the clues. Yeah. There is one really, really obvious clue that directly points to who it is, but we'll go on to that later. Frankie, what do you think of this episode? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I've said that. Did I say it's fine? It's fine. It's solvable and it's fun. I enjoy it. I, I like it. But as mysteries go, it's not the most perplexing or complex. It's pretty kind of... If you really look at the movements of the characters involved... You can mm. figure out who did it. That's, that's the glaring thing, isn't it? Yeah, but that doesn't make it any, you know, less enjoyable to watch because, as I said, there's a lot of good good moments in it and it's, you know, Miss Lemon doing hypnotism, love all of that and love those scenes. Uh, but it's not a standout one for me. This isn't one that if I see The Underdog is on ITV on a Sunday, I'm like, oh, yippee, The Underdog. Like, I'll watch it because it's fun, <laughs> but I wouldn't seek it out. Uh, so I like it, but it's a bit of a, a shrug one for me i would say my score was probably about a five for this one right down the middle really okay. how about you yeah and same i, I think I, I really love the um the conflagration bit at the beginning I think yes it's fun it's a nice yes. explosive way to kick things off and the hypnotism is great and the art deco gorgeousness is fantastic yes one scene that the car chase scene where they're racing through london and they do race and the camera's in the car with them plus it's down the street watching the car zoom by it did strike me again how wonderfully produced the production design is great there's not one person out of costume there's not one window no. in the whole shot that looks like you know it's a modern so true yeah it's so well done i mean they go through half of london at breakneck speed and it looks like they just shut london down for that day and just asked everyone living there if they could get into period costume so i was again yeah. struck by how brilliant they are at making these things that said the mystery as you say it's not really a mystery it's just like who no. could have been in the room at that time and if you use your logic you can kind of work out who it was must have been because you can see everyone else so yeah. um, 10 minutes in the murder happens five minutes after that you know who did it and then it's just like a 
it seems like they're treading water with the whole Charles yeah. thing and where's he run off to and the whole brother thing, the flat cap thing is revealed quite early as well. They don't even leave that to the end. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's oddly put together as a mystery. I don't really think it's... I always forget about it. Like you said, it's one of the ones you don't get excited about. I just completely forget about the plot of this one. I've seen this one, I would say, probably a dozen times. Yeah. And yet again, when I watched it this week, I was just like, which one's this again? Who did it again? Oh, it's that. Yeah, it must be that guy again. So yeah, it's completely forgettable in terms of mystery. So I'll go with I'll go with a four. I was going to give it a four, but I think I'll be kinder and say five, even straight down the middle. It's enjoyable to watch. Yeah, but absolutely. It's like it's so incidental. It's yes. like he could have solved this on the way to a more interesting mystery. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting it. But yeah, I completely agree with your point about how in Exhibition Road in London, which if people, if you know London, it's basically South Kensington where all of the museums are. This is where you'd go to the National History Museum, the Science Museum, and it's heaving normally. Mm. And absolutely, yeah, so to see it like that, it looks so authentically 30s, isn't it? It's an unbelievable yeah. achievement. So yeah. worth it's it for crazy. that alone. Yeah, really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what did you think? Did you solve it? Um, I, yes. I'm pretty sure you must have done. But I know not, one person at home who did not solve it. <laughs> oh, we better not say it's, it's easy to solve because <laughs> goodness gracious me. <laughs> no, but if you're just watching it for fun, you're not trying to solve it, that's okay too. But mm, yeah, did if you can solve it and you want to, then great. <laughs> it's a good romp and there's lots of good characters in it. I love yes. the whole hypnotism thing and the miniature so part is, is great as well. I see yes. on golf course. And I must say, the last couple of minutes of this are very, very amazing. fun. Very but good. Nothing to do with the mystery. Anyway, no. <laughs> um, if you want to join us to talk about the denouement, then we'll be back after the music. But for now, à bientôt. Au revoir. We're back. Bonjour. Um, yes. Do you want to reveal who the miscreant was? Well, I think we all know, but I'm going to say it anyway, just in case. You may refuse to believe this. Again, I'll use that one again. Uh, Dr. Horace Trefusis. Hosa himself, yes. What a horrible man. Indeed. So, Adam, yes. break it down. Okay, well, Horace went to Ruben's office to find a file. Do you know, Frankie, why? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't I, I'm going to say that it's possibly to do with the fact that there is an agreement within this paperwork that says that mm. if this chemical astropine, preen, mm. keep saying peen, astropine is manufactured in... Yes, <laughs> uh, manufactured in the UK by the Astwell company, then he gets a load of money for that because he was the one that's led on this project. But if it goes to Germany and they sell it to IG Farben, then he doesn't get any money, which is why he and Victor and other people, well, Victor probably that wasn't his motivation. I think he was more like, oh, you know, the Germans are going to go to war with us. We shouldn't give them nice things. Yeah. Horace's motivation was entirely money-based. However, the thing that's confusing here is that Poirot says a couple of times he didn't intend to kill Ruben. He wasn't there to kill him. No, so, he just went for he just went to get 
the file to get proof For some of reason. what was actually what was actually going to be taking place, whether where where it was going to be manufactured. I would still argue that it's not made clear enough why no. he's in that office. Um, I mean, we just had a quick chat off camera about why yeah. was he there, and really, I'm not sure. can't really answer that question. <laughs> he just needs to be there. But basically, he went there to find a fire. He didn't go there to kill Ruben Aswell. No. But then Reuben Astwell came back to his office arguing with his brother. So he had to hide behind the curtain. Then his brother left and Lady Astwell came in and they had an argument. And that's when she subliminally noticed that the curtain was twitching, but didn't really sort of take it into into account at the time because she was too busy having an argument. She stormed out. Then Horace Trefusis came out from behind the curtain and just thought, oh my God, I need to get out of this office. I'm going to be spotted. So he tried to creep across the floor to get out. But Reuben Astwell noticed a 297 male. He's he's not a creeper, is he, Horace? He's not (laughs) a natural, sneaky, stealth man. Really not. But anyway, so was about to launch into a big thing about why are you in my office? And in a panic... Hosa picked up one of the bronzes and smacked him around the head and killed him. Now is the only moment for our intruder to escape without detection. But Sir Reuben hears a noise. What the? Et voilà. An act of impulse followed by blind panic. Now our intruder must escape. But it is not to be. Is there no way out of this accursed room? Monsieur Charles Levison enters the study. Someone stands up to you, do you? Nothing to say. And on seeing that Sir Reuben is dead, he leaves. That's the uh, chain of events. Uh, when Charles came home and found him dead, he decided to sort of make noises as if to say, oh, yeah, we're having an argument. Oh, well, I better leave you alone then, Uncle Oak. <laughs> Who is still alive as I am leaving this room. Look how alive and well yeah. you look, Uncle. Okay, good night. Yes. Yes, so that is what happened. And, I mean, every he, when Horace eventually admits it, he says, you know, he was a bully, a liar, and a swindler, and everyone, like, nods, yeah. <laughs> basically, in the room. Like, yeah, he was, but you still shouldn't kill people. Yeah, you shouldn't just smash people's brains out, especially not with a prized Belgian bronze. Oh, no, <laughs> ideally not. It's but... here that we also find out the meaning of the title. I am a student of the psychology, and throughout this case, I have been looking not for a man or woman who has the bad temper, because the bad temper is in itself a safety valve. No. I have been looking for a person who has the patience, who has for too long played the part of the underdog, who crept into the study of Sir Reuben, who hid behind the curtain, who became trapped and finally committed the act of violence that had been harboured for so long. After Charles had left, the, the, I swear to God, that Astwell's office is like like less Piccadilly Circus, isn't it? Because then after he left, Lily came in, saw the dead body, and took the papers from the safe to give to her brother to prove that he was the one that created Astroprene and to yeah. get, that, get that whole mess cleaned up. So the glaring clue I referred to earlier on was that if you work out who was it, who went in the office um, and who was supposedly in bed, then you know who, who done it, really. Because if Victor was in the office and then walked out and then Lady Aswell went in and saw the curtain twitching, that means the killer was in the room and there was only one person missing, really, wasn't there? And that's 
either Lily, I guess, or Horace. But yeah, and they try to not... make it look like Lily, but it's not Lily. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, when they present a suspect that early on, you know, it's yeah. Not really and Horace, no. is like, I'm going to bed. Good, good night, please. I don't want to be disturbed. And then the next day, when Poirot, where were you? I was in bed. No more questions. Thank you. It's obviously yep. you, sir. <laughs> Left before breakfast. Fl- fled yeah. the scene of the crime. It can't yeah. have been me. It can't have been me. It can't, can't, can't have been. Me. Okay, fine. <laughs> he refuses you. to accept responsibility. <laughs> I'm gonna stop I reckon you've got a few more out of that name. Uh, let me think. <laughs> um, he had a short trefusis. Yeah, that's a good one. Thanks. I mean, that's generous. You, yeah. Oh, I'll keep uh, going. Um, yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> uh, Come on. You do one. No, no, no. It's fine. I trefuse <laughs> to believe. You're welcome. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they're, they're so, all around the word refused. <laughs> refuses. Um, so that is that. Uh, but yes. the good news is, following the death of uh, Reuben Astwell, is that uh, it seems that Victor is a much nicer person. He has sorted it out with Naylor. He's given him the money he was due for his brilliant idea, and they're not selling to the Germans. Uh, so hooray for patriotism to celebrate they go for a little wander around the golf course don't they adam so hastings is about to take a shot and miss lemon decides to step forward captain hastings a hole in one captain hastings a hole in one miss lemon captain hastings possesses far too much of the intellectual strength quite right poirot Where do you think that shot landed, folks? Oh, and his smile. I've never mm. seen him look so happy. Mm-hmm. Yep, Miss Lemon hypnotised him into getting a hole in one. And uh, I love the fact that even Poirot's a little bit like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, not the first time Miss Lemon's hypnotising him to getting a hole in one, if you know what I'm saying. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. What are you saying? <laughs> well, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, good old Hastings. What a lovely ending. And also, mm. shout out to Poirot's cane with the with the telescope at the end. One of the best. I know. He whips that thing straight out, doesn't he? We haven't seen that since uh, Death in the Clouds. Uh, Death in the Clouds, yes, at the tennis. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's, it's a good episode. I really like it. And I really love that little golf finish. Yes. It's, uh, it's really beautifully done. It's yeah. on a par good. with one of the better endings. <laughs> That was an okay one. I refuse. I refuse. No, it was very good, yeah. Thank you. I struggled to hold in my my laugh that time. Mm -hmm. Good. Mm. Good. (laughs) Yeah, that was good fun. That was good fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. You know, not a bad episode. Don't mind it. Not bad. Very incidental, but good fun. Not hateful. Hey, Adam, what's the next episode going to be? It's Yellow Iris. (gasps) Look at you, be prepared! You know what? Well done. Well done. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Oh, wow. Thank you. No you know edit. What? No edit two, required. Two years of doing this show <laughs> and you did it. Well done. Yellow Iris. Oh, I love this one. This is a really good one. Am I right in thinking that I saw someone on our Discord say recently that they find it somewhat ridiculous or the opening first act really distracting. I heard something disparaging about it. Am I, am I remembering that right? 
I can't, do you know what? I need to take another look. I don't remember that. But I do know that this one is a similar plot line to Sparkling Cyanide, if you've read the Agatha Christie right. book. I rewatched it straight after this yesterday. Did you? Because I, yeah, because I wanted it sort of, you know, swirling around my mind. I'll rewatch it again before we record again. But yeah, I was, uh, I, I watched it and thought, I really like this episode. I like it. It has too. elements of all the sort of good solutions from, you know, episodes previous, such as, you know, that kind of thing. Don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's very clever. It's really yes. good, and I really like. There's a double bluff. It's a bit. Yes, it? it's poor uh, poor old Hastings with bad investments and things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, no. gorgeous nightclub scenes. Yes, we haven't had a good nightclub scene since we were in Chinatown for the Lost Mine, have we? I'm about in the Muse. Sorry, no, you're right. Oh. Gosh, how exciting. Mm, well, we'll, yeah, it's good. We'll, we'll see you all in the club then. Body full of bird, mind on what you need. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. Well, we'll see you next time, folks. Remember, if you'd like more, then you can sign up at patreon.com slash cozyaf. Uh, the merch store, if you want to run away and get something quickly before it closes for the year, that's thelaboursofercule.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time for Yellow Iris. Au revoir. <laughs> like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us you can follow us on twitter at labors hercule we're also on instagram if you like pictures at labors of hercule and if you were born in the 1920s yourself then you can be all old-fashioned and email us at bonjour at the labors of that's it from us see you next time au revoir mes amis As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.